Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that desperately hopes to avoid the ire of the OECD. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by the Founder and Managing Director of Strawman.com, Mr. Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? I'm very good, Mr. Scott Phillips. Yourself? <laughs> very well, thank you, mate. Um, it seems like a bit of a... I don't know, is it spring or is it just that we're kind of getting closer to some sort of post... I say, oh, why not? Post-COVID is the wrong phrase. Some sort of living with COVID world, right? I don't know, it feels like we're on the on the last leg. Am I, am I too optimistic? Am I too hopeful? Or is there a sense that we're kind of getting there finally? I think so. Although at the same time, I also feel as though I've lost any kind of measure of time. Um, <laughs> so that's so true. There is there is that sense that it's getting closer, but there's just a, there's a there's a uh, uh, lots of mists and fog ahead and behind. Yeah. So it's I mean a bit of a fugue state to be honest. So, but I hope you're right. I I, I think mm. that's a reasonable. I think that's a reasonable statement. Um, that I think the one thing that 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 we we should probably be <laughs> aware of is just how uh, unexpectedly things can change. I mean, people were mm-hmm. talking about things oh, being man, almost yeah. over as we, we set yeah. off here just at the start of the year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, here we are towards the end of this year and it's sort of still, you know, uh, look, there, mm. there could be other variants, there could be any number of new things that has come out, but it does look, I think there is reason, there is, uh, reason to have hope. Thank you for injecting the voice of pessimism into my otherwise optimistic start, Andrew. I really, I really appreciate it. Maybe we were talking about that as we started because, uh, as, as we do, you and I put together some sort of very loose agenda for this podcast. I, I am, just a quick, a quick tangent because we like to do that. I am reminded, mate, and I've said this before, but when you and I started this podcast, we scripted the entire thing word for word on the very first episode. And I think by about episode six, we got down to just doing the dot points and now we've kind of got some rough agenda writers. That's about it. So it's kind of, it's, speaking of the passing of time, that's been something that we've done differently. Well, Probably a happy middle ground in, in <laughs> yeah. all of that. Let's be honest. But we've horribly overshot that middle ground, mate, and we're not going back. Um, but I so what when we put the document together, I put the date at the top of the document so we can kind of keep track of which one we're up to and all that kind of stuff. And I'm typing in two one zero nine of you know, date in reverse, and so night of seventeenth of, of September. And I'm just, I literally were kind of like, wow. I mean, partly to your point, because we had Groundhog Day. Um, who knows what day it is or how quickly time's passed. By the same token, as you say, eight months ago. It was goodbye, yeah, good riddance 2020. 2021 is going to be a brighter story. Mm-hmm. Uh, optimism obviously abounds. That's probably a really important part of the human condition, by the way, because it keeps us moving forward and keeps us optimistic and makes us plan for the future in positive ways. Um, and so, look, I mean, there is some sense that we were obviously, hopefully, uh, horribly, sorry, overly optimistic in, in January of this year. By the same token, mate, those nine months have come and gone. They weren't fun. And again, you know, I, I don't think you can overdo the reminders that businesses have suffered, people have lost jobs, people have lost lives and, and livelihoods. Um, there, there's still people dealing with long COVID. So, you know, it's not to say that there was no impact or that we got here and, and look, it's all been fine. But at a macro level, it is also worth pointing out that as investors, we have to take these sort of views. And the last eight months have been reasonably kind for investors. The extent that we wanted it to be over or that maybe we're waiting for it to be over, eight months, nine months have passed in the relative blink of the eye, again, it's felt like you know, a bit of a drag. You and I both are doing learning at home uh, with, with school-age kids, so, you know, there mm. is that. Um, but, there, you know, there, there is some sense that while we all want more freedoms and we all want COVID to be either gone or, or, or lived with in a better way, um, we kind of, you know, life has kind of gone on and compounding is doing its thing in the background as it always does. Mm. I guess, and I, I'm a broken record on this and I don't really care that I am. I'm sorry for those who uh, hate me repeating it, but uh, for those who aren't or haven't heard it enough yet, 
uh, let me say out very loudly, um, it has been a remarkably good year for shares as they tend to be more often than not. Um, dividends paid, share prices increased largely. Uh, businesses get on with doing business. There are implications for individual companies and we'll talk about a little bit about that. Stay tuned for that, by the way, because towards the end, we'll talk about some of the beneficiaries and, and uh, well, those who aren't going to do so well out of COVID. But it's just, it's, you know... Letting, letting time do its thing, just staying invested. I, I don't know. I, I, we're almost exactly 18 months away from the lows of 2020, if you can believe that. The market mm. fell 40%. We're up more than that. Someone actually, I, I kind of just say, you know, oh, we made that 40% back uh, when I'm talking generally because I, I, I almost feel guilty about saying, well, the market's actually up the best part of 70%. If you lose 40 and come back, you got to gain about 70% to make that back. So from, from those March lows, we've made up all the losses and more. Um, you know, it's and almost exactly as I said 18 months ago, just thought it was worth not even stopping, but as we as we pass through, just reflecting on that last nine months and the nine months before that, um, again, horrible things, wouldn't choose to go through it, but a reminder that staying invested, being invested, letting time do its thing, because, you know, those nine months, I've been adding money to my investment account, shares have been compounding away, businesses doing their thing, even while we've been worried about what comes next. And maybe that's the biggest lesson of all. I think it is, and it, it seems the thing I've always <clears throat> worry about—not worry, I guess—but I'm aware, cognizant of—is mm. that whenever you say something like that, even though I 100% agree with you and think you're right, it, it <laughs> sounds negligent. Yeah, it, it sounds, does. It really does. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just like yeah. who, this idiot. You know, has, do you, don't you open the paper, mate? I mean, do you see what's going on in the world? Exactly. And, and I know, I know yeah. you well, and I've known yeah. you for a while. <clears throat> the market could fall thirty percent tomorrow, fifty percent tomorrow. And you'd be saying the exact same thing, and, yeah. you'd, and you'd be right <laughs> to do so. But yeah, it right. just sounds. It just. I've all, I'm always <laughs> aware that it just. Mm. The person who can, you know, riff for, for 15 minutes about, you know, deep macro mm. issues and company-specific <laughs> factors and put a rapid narrative around things and here's the action that you need to take is, yeah, right, it just right. sounds really smart. It, it always mm. feels as though it's a, when, when things are happening in the real world, you need to respond and react to that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when someone sort of says, eh, it's, it's almost like a bit of a shrug of the shoulders, just keep <laughs> yeah, doing what you're right. doing, market's up, market's yeah. down, just keep doing yeah. it. It, just, it sounds simplistic, doesn't it? It and does, it just, you know, but you know, it's it's true. It's true. So yeah. so, you, so you're right to keep repeating it, and I'm, I'll I'll happily second your your comments. You're a good man. Thank you. Yeah. Look, I think that's and that's it, right? Like the human need to just do something. I was talking uh, on on Twitter of all things and about climate change, so I'm not going to go into that specific now because no one wants that. Um, but there was a thing like you know, well, well, I guess we should at least be doing something, right? And on climate change, I agree. It wasn't about climate change specifically, mm. but there's just that human instinct to say, well. Something's better than nothing, surely. Mm. And sometimes it is, and again, climate change it absolutely is. Well, but just that idea of like the default to the default to action mm. is such a human instinct, right? Like, don't just sit there, do something. Yeah. If I'm doing something, I feel like I'm somehow adding value or owning my own destiny or controlling what happens next. And it's a, it's a complete fallacy in a lot of ways. It, you know, just because you're doing something doesn't mean you're actually adding value at all. In fact, you can be detracting from. And in the investing case, mm. as you kind of alluded to, that's exactly the point. The Ability, I don't know to call it that, the, the whatever, the, the need, the desire the to just do something. Well, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll sell this and buy this because it's been a while, nothing's happening, so I'll try and make something happen. Mm. It is just the absolute opposite of good long-term investing, right? Like companies are doing that for you. If you want to feel like you're doing something, remember how many people in the companies you own are going to work today are doing their thing, I went to work today, doing their thing, you know, um, mm. uh, making the widgets, you know, licking the envelopes, you know, whatever, whatever it is that has to be done. There are people doing things to help you generate wealth. Yep. And so if you can at least see and do that, that's something. 
Yeah, Pascal said something about all of man's problems stemming from his inability to sit in a room and do nothing. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, he's, He wasn't talking about investing, but, geez, it oh, really it fits. Uh, <laughs> it really does. It, it's, you know, it, it, yeah. as I say, it just sounds really, really reckless, you know. Yeah, like, X has happened, let's do Y or Z mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, but but often, <laughs> often, often nothing is good. Yeah. And, and I've got to say, mate, again, those people who tried to time COVID, I know – very, very, very few people who sold everything in February bought everything back in March. I don't know a single um, one. Right. I, I mean, there must be some, right? So I, I guess mm. I was being generous. But yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. I couldn't name one either. But I'm sure there are other. I'm sure there are people out there. There's probably people who've done it themselves listening right now. Um, I'm, I'm immensely, immensely uh, jealous of Bill who started investing in March. I was like, oh, man, you guys just got hit in the backside with a rainbow. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the story, right? Being well, active rarely adds value um, most of the time. I'm not saying active is an active stock pick, and that's different, but... Feeling, feel like you should buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell mm. um, just because stuff's happening out there. Mm. Um, people who are waiting for the end of COVID to buy back in have missed the entire gain, for example, because you, ha- you had a view, you took a view, right? The rest of us who went, oh, we'll take that, as you say, neg- negligent, almost negligent seeming view of, oh, I'll just sit and wait. Whatever. It, it's, it's, oh, man. It's, and that's the history of the stock market. Yeah. All right. Well, one, one thing Go I just, just to, yeah, please. To touch on a point you made there saying that the people who started investing in March last year, how lucky are they? <laughs> well, yes, they are. But I'll, I'll make one comment, just an observation mm. I've noticed over the years. I actually think that that's the worst possible start you can have. So if you've never right. invested in the share market before <laughs> and just through coincidence or luck or whatever, you started yeah. investing in the truck. Yeah. Now, yes, you've, you've done incredibly well over a relatively very, very you mm. know, blink of an eye. Mm. Mm. And that's great news. The, the trouble with that is, is it teaches all of the wrong lessons. <laughs> that's right. You know, so, so what yeah. happens is you, you yeah. get this false sense of bravado and confidence mm-hmm. and you start mistaking just good fortune for skill. <laughs> You've got, it's a market environment where, let's be frank, a lot of pretty ordinary companies have just come back a long way. And so mm-hmm. just, you, you, you forget, well, you, what you don't realise, having just started in this environment, is that that's not the normal, that's not the default state <laughs> yeah, of markets. Right. And so when, when they in, invariably turn, it, can just, it just reinforces the wrong behaviour and, and, and teaches the wrong lessons. So I mm-hmm. actually think when you're very, very first starting out in investing, the best thing that can happen is you can have a little bit of a run and then a big crash because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. No, I'm, I sound really mean saying that, but I, I, I think no, it's true. That, yeah, yeah. That that it, you, when you first start out is probably when you've got the least money to lose anyway. Mm. But it just sets. It just really slaps you in the face and <laughs> and teaches you to have a bit of respect for this thing. Yeah. Um, and it just it just means you make smarter, more cautious decisions going forward. So it's yeah. Good luck to you if you did start in March. But just <laughs> just remember, um, not not to be too self congratulatory at at this point because yeah. a rising tide lifts all boats. It mm. won't always be like this. And and remember that um, yeah. Some, sometimes things go down. Andrew, rain on your parade page. Thank you for it. <laughs> no, but you're exactly right because I, I can't imagine how many absolutely crap companies have done well over the last 18 months, right? Mm. You could have bought almost anything. And particularly if you're not comparing yourself to the market, you might be up 50%. If the market's up 70, you've probably, you know, you've lost it. Now, you know, short periods of time, who cares? I'm not saying you should necessarily beat the market over short periods, but, you know, you could have bought absolute rubbish and probably done remarkably well just because, as you say, things were so bad that just simply any any recovery from that was going to make you money. And if you think you're a master stock picker because you bought three crap companies they have all gone up, um, good luck to you again. We're, we're, we're not begrudging your gains. Um, you're entirely welcome to them. Uh, we, we both did reasonably well in that recovery as well by owning the stocks we owned. Uh, but 
yeah, just just be, be very careful because you're not necessarily a master stock picker just because the tide comes in. Yep. That's uh, that's important. Again, we're not trying to discourage you. We're just saying be realistic about it. Firstly, check yourself against the market is probably the first thing I'd say just to see whether you've done well or badly. As I said, 18 months is not long enough. Believe it or not, despite what you hear on business telly and in the news and the newspaper, 18 months is not long enough to work out investment thesis right or wrong. So if you're up or down, don't don't take it to heart either way. Um, maybe that's the biggest story. Make sure you're you're in for a long term story and you're. You own businesses that are going to compound for long periods of time, not just bounce back when the market bounces. Is that, totally. is that fair? Yep, totally. Cool. Speaking of bouncing, mate, the old housing market. I wonder if you've got a view on property, Andrew. I haven't heard you speak about <laughs> property. But no, I'm kidding. I may have a view. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of things RBA-wise this week I thought were interesting to talk about. Um, and, and kind of because it, I think it, it matters in terms of the settings of the economy and what we assume is going on. The first is the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. Uh, that's a hell of a name. Uh, the, they're basically a group of the wealthy nations in the world. They get together, they share information, share data. There's, there's research done and reports written. And the OECD is kind of supposed to be, if not the independent umpire, at least the independent multinational kind of commentator. Mm. Uh, and this week they came out and said, eh, we would like you guys to broaden the GST. We would really like you to plan for getting out of this budget deficit hole you've dug yourselves. We'd like a firm plan, please. That'd be nice. And when I say we'd like, they have no control, right? But they're saying, look, it would be good. Um, economically speaking, as an independent commentator, we think it should. you should have one. Mm. And they said, by the way, maybe it's worth looking into the RBA because despite the RBA's target of 2 to 3% inflation through the cycle, they haven't hit that in years and years and years. And, and the OECD could look at that going, well, kind of at some point, guys, you've got to, you know, this is not working. Um, so that was that was interesting, I thought. At the same time, the RBA during the week, speaking of property, came out and said, well, house prices aren't our problem. Mm. Our job is our job is interest rates, not housing. Mm. And I've, I, I'm going to say, mate, I, I wholly agree, as regular listeners would know, because the RBA's mandate is not house prices, right? The RBA's yeah. mandate is employment and economic uh, and inflation, mm. economic growth. So, <clears throat> you know, to, to do anything other than that, given their mandate, do you have less economic growth to keep house prices down? Do you have less employment, in other words, more unemployment to keep house prices down? I think the RBA have been entirely appropriate given their mandate in terms of what they've done. And Philip Lowe pretty much saying exactly that. Look, we have a mandate. We're sticking to it. Mm. That's not house prices, guys. There's mm. other people here who can make those decisions, who can have those influences, but that's not us. So RBA front and centre, mate, take that where you want. OECD, house prices, RBA, interest rates, inflation. Thoughts on on kind of the, those macro events of the week? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the uh, I think the RBAs shouldn't be looking at that. I think it's a consideration, um, mm. and there's a lot of lot of things to sort of weigh out for them. But as we've often yeah, right. often remarked, it's just a very blunt instrument. Interest rates. They've got this one lever, and there's a million things that they're trying to control. And every action has a a bit of a, a reaction somewhere else. There's always and there's unintended consequences. So. Yeah. I, I I agree with Philip Lowe. I think there are other you know um, mm. other levers that we could pull there, whether it be macro prudential controls or bank yep. lending yep. limits yep. or other things there that are much more um, targeted, I suppose, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and much more relevant to if you are if you are worried about an overheating property market, then it, it probably needs to be a, a multi pronged approach mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. where you you do other things, right? Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, no, no, I, I agree with all of that. Um, as to whether or not they've been successful, given with their mandate, well, clearly they haven't. But at the same yeah, time, right. I would ask I, the counterfactual would be, well, what else 
could have they done? Again, they've got this one lever, up or down, yeah. Yeah, and they've pulled right. it all the way back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you broke would, it off. Yeah. You'd say inflation is below the target. <laughs> what do we do? Well, we, yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. try and stimulate the economy, and they've yeah, done it. Yeah, so yeah. so, they, so I, I don't know what else. Yeah. It, Harry hindsight what 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 do you want here like you know they they they've they've been given yeah. this mandate they've give, they've mm-hmm. used the only tool that they can to address that and mm-hmm. they've pulled it all the way virtually um and it hasn't happened so what 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 could have they done in an alternate universe I'm not sure mm. I think that's exactly right and I look I I'm a I'm a bit of a broken record here but I think to exactly that point um they got one lever. The government's, ha- you know, I, I talk about the RB having a biplane, right? You got one one joystick in front of you. You push it up. You pull it down. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. The government's flying an F A eighteen Hornet, which I, I'm probably already messing up my military terminology. Um, you're much, you're you're a gaming nerd. You'll know the right things. I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've played some flight simulators before. Um, but they've got switches <laughs> and dials and knobs and computers and buttons and heads up displays and you know, like they've got every weapon. And again, this is not political because, frankly, the the inflation problem's been across both governments over long periods of time. Yeah. Uh, but both parties. So it's, but it's just a case of like, you know, as you say, yeah, we've got one lever um, and there is APRA, the, the prudential regulator, they could have said to people, hey, lend less money. Mm. And because, and you know, the best trying to get the economy going, someone else can say, that's good because the, the, the effect of that is higher house prices. That's uncool. Mm. Let's do something about that. You know, it's, 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 it strikes me as a little bit bananas to expect anything different. On the, on the inflation targeting, mate, I, and so again, we'll strip this back just a half a step. Inflation is important for the economy because it tells people, firstly, there's growth and there's things happening. And I want to say tells people it actually is happening, right? It kind of mm. creates its own momentum. Secondly, if you know prices are going to go down, what do you do? We stop spending. If yeah. I knew the car I wanted to buy today was going to be cheaper in a month and then cheaper again in six months, cheaper again in 12 months, mm. I'm going to put that purchase off for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. And that's why inflation is so bloody scary for central banks and economists because when you start to have some, some sort of view of, I can, the longer I wait to spend my money, the less activity I create in the economy, the better it is for me. That's a, that's a really, really vicious circle. That hurts really quickly and, and really significantly. So that's just for the, if you're wondering why, you know, we, no one wants to pay more for bread and milk uh, or cars, um, but the reason for inflation is to show, uh, demonstrate some of that. And also it just gives a signal to the market that things are, are growing and improving, but also price is going to be higher the longer you wait. So it is, it is a stimulus for economic activity. I, t- I have a working theory that the inflation target is actually the problem. And I'm mm. not entirely sure the RBI doesn't agree. Mm. You know, they're a very conservative organisation. They've refused to move the inflation target, probably for good reasons, because frankly, if hyperinflation or, or high inflation does return because of all this stimulus we talked about last week, then yeah, you, you want to have some sort of inflation targeting number that makes more sense. But in a world where the inflation is low, as you say, if you can't create it by having rates at 0.1%, the RBA has never said it. I don't want to put words in their mouth because they may completely fundamentally disagree, even behind closed doors. But my suspicion is they've kind of gone, well, we're never going to hit the target. The choice is either miss the target or drop the target um, because getting it would create, as you say, a whole lot of, what is it, minus 2% interest rates, minus 5% interest rates. I mean, what do you do? Mm. At some point, and in a low productivity world, low growth world, I don't know that inflation of 2 to 3% is just unreasonable in, in the first place. Do you have a, a thought on that? Uh, I, I struggle with all of this stuff. I honestly, it's sort of, it's not that complicated and then you scratch it a little bit and it gets really <laughs> yeah, complicated. That's so true too. Um, that's so true. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think one, there is a danger in sort of looking at relatively recent history and, and saying this is the new normal. Um, that's a good point. You know, it, 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 it seems as though at this point in time, looking mm-hmm. forward, you think, mm-hmm. oh, we're, ne- we're never going to get back to those <laughs> kinds of rates of inflation. Yeah, Bill yeah. Lowe said recently at a, at a speech that it could be another interest rate rises three years away or something like mm-hmm. that in his view. 
Yeah. So it sort of seems as very unlikely and not that it'll ever happen again. But then that's just the, that's the history of economics, right? These yeah. things that will yeah. never, ever, could not possibly happen and then happen. Or, yeah. you know... It, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think it's as you say. This is this is something that is really worth reiterating here. That and, and mm. it, it, it it jars a little bit, but a little bit of inflation is good. Yeah. Um, and the two to three percent, for whatever reason, has been settled on as a reasonable band, and I think it's mm-hmm. about right as well. So mm-hmm. to to abandon mm-hmm. that, that it might sort of solve one or two problems, but then create yeah. others. I'm yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It it, it is so diabolically complicated. Um, I just, I just feel as though, yeah, pivoting and adjusting just based on recent history may mm-hmm. may not be the, the the most sensible thing. But I could easily be convinced otherwise. And, but I think I think you're right. I think that that very point is I'm very sure what the RBA is exactly doing. Of saying, look, we're not going to get there, but that's not the problem compared to otherwise making those changes to target rates or something else that might actually cause that issue. Right. So yeah. they're almost implicitly saying we're not going to get there, but changing it would be hasty. Yes. And right now, the current settings mean, are we missing that by a bit? Yeah. Our rates are already super low? Yeah. They absolutely do see the impacts of their decisions like house prices. Mm. I, I'm, I'm relatively sure they're like, okay, well, we, are, we feel pretty comfortable that this is the best settings we can have mm. and we're not prepared to change the, the target just yet. I think that's I think exactly right. Mate, um, speaking of macro, really interesting article by Bernard Salt in The Australian on Thursday. He's the famous demographer uh, and he is kind of article... Is that it asks a really, really good question. So I thought I'd ask you the question because he kind of pretty much just says, well, he starts with, you know, how does corporate Australia compare with peer economies? And then he asks the kind of next question, which is, what are we best at? What should we be doing more of? And he mentions things like, you know, zero out of New Zealand, where the company is, is phenomenally large relative to the size of the economy. He mentions the pharmaceutical companies in, or a company in Denmark, Novo Nordisk, that is phenomenally large relative again to the size of its economy. And, and Salt's saying, look, we can't be everything to everyone. We're a small economy. We're a relatively, you know, well, very sparsely populated country. We have a big land mass, but most of it's not used and not, um, not lived on. But we're in a situation where we could do anything or can do anything, but what should we do more of? What are we best at as an economy? And I just thought that was a really interesting approach to the question because there's plenty of people who want us to you know, do everything or do the old things. There's a, a big push almost regularly. That we should make more stuff that somehow manufacturing is the thing that we should do to kind of, you know, underscore our national identity. And I get that. But if you want to make more stuff, well, you've got to pull people out of higher paying service jobs and then whack them into a you know, blue collar job on a production line. I think we want to be careful about, yep. do we really want to make more cars if it, you know, means lower wages, more subsidies? That, I mean, there's nothing, you know, we feel some sense of national pride because we made a car and I don't blame people for feeling that way, but it's not the best economic decision I think I don't think anyone really believes that anymore, other than for base political reasons. Mm. What what do what are, what is Australia best at, mate? What if you you know in terms of both at a, at a large scale, but if we think about the companies in particular, I mean, mining we're obviously really really good at. We have uh, uh, we're blessed with natural um, uh, geological realities that mean that iron ore is really easy to scrape off the ground in WA, and it's really close to a port. And so, you know, are we are we best at that? Are we, are we better physical miners than anybody else? I don't know, but we certainly have opportunities to be better at mining. Uh, Bernard mentions agribusiness, agriculture industry that, again, we've got, you know, we're blessed with wonderful climate in much of the country. We're a net exporter of a lot of our agricultural produce. He says that might be something we should be good at. And I guess I'm wondering then what's stopping us, but also if nothing's stopping us, are we missing a trick by not investing in some of these businesses that, 
have these competitive advantages that we otherwise would want to look for? I think, I think definitely. I, I think, yeah, things like agriculture and mining and, you know, that Australia's ridden to success on the back of the sheep's back in the past yes. and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's been very good for us. But I do lament that we, we, we've, we've probably um, missed a few opportunities along the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Australia really punches above its weight in, in, in technology. Mm. Uh, we invented uh, uh, Wi-Fi. Um, yeah, right. You know? Um, you and I. Yeah, yeah, you and me, just out the back in the, in the garage. Um, <laughs> Do you this William been, and Fiona? Do you they went, oh, this William, I will call a Wi-Fi for William and Fiona. <laughs> no? There's no. been a lot of, I, I don't know what it is, I think for political reasons or whatever, we, we seem to sort of double down on the low value add kind of things. Yeah. You know, and it's not that these mining and, and agriculture aren't important. They absolutely are. But there's, okay. there's, we sort of send these raw commodities elsewhere where mm, people mm, turn mm. them into much, much more valuable things and get much, much better economic returns out of I, I do feel as though we've, we've missed some opportunities there. And when, okay. when we do seem to have some success on that front, they, they tend to mm, go overseas. Mm. Atlassian's a great example of that, right? Right. Um, so I, I, would, I would say there's – and I, I'll – I know you've mentioned this before. There's there's one massive comparative advantage we have, is which is in tourism. We just live mm, in a very mm. very beautiful country <laughs> that no one else can do. There's there's no yeah, right. there's no other Uluru. There's no other Great yeah, Barrier yeah, Reef that may yeah. not be a Great Barrier Reef for much longer. You know, there's there's areas <laughs> yeah. that and they're good yeah. service yeah. you know value add kind of industries where you, where you can where you, where no one can, it's impossible to compete. You know, mm. because there is only one Great Barrier Reef. There is only yeah. one Uluru, a million yeah. other e- examples there. I yeah. think that we're really missing a trick. And again, I'm not trying to be political here, but we really missed a trick in terms of, um, you, look, we've got huge amounts of land. We've got huge amounts of sun. You know, we really could be <laughs> an energy powerhouse. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and, and then when you get an, a once in a century opportunity where the, mm. the public hands the government a blank check and says, spend on whatever you like because we need stimulus, <laughs> That's right. and you go with a gas led recovery, it just sort of, uh-huh. oh, guys, come on. There is some, <laughs> there is some, you know, I, yeah, let's stimulate things, but let's, let's do yeah. this here where, yeah. where we, we could potentially be exporting this kind of stuff, you know? And yeah. so I, I, do, I do feel as though we, we, mm. we need to think bigger as a country. What would you do though? I mean, what do you, you know, I I kind of I get the the make stuff here. I get I even get the kind of you know we send the we dig up the iron ore, send it somewhere else. They send us back the cars or they send the steel beams or the something. Mm. On the other hand, we can't make them that cheaply. The reality is we're actually benefiting from doing exactly that. Right, we're digging it up cost effectively and profitably. We send it to another country where they have lower labor costs and more scale, and so they can do it there cheaper than we could do it here. Mm. We could do it here. But we actually benefit as a country because instead of buying a Holden for you know eighty thousand dollars, we're buying a Toyota for thirty five. Mm. Um, you know, we we, we we try that with the car industry for forty five, fifty years, and eventually, thank God, some government said, "How many more billions do we waste on this when we know it's not not working?" Um, I don't know, mate. I, I I hear you, but I'm also not entirely sure that trying to do more of that stuff, where we just don't have that again to burn a salt, that natural advantage. We don't have lower wages, thank God. Mm. Um, we don't have scale, unfortunately, because we're a tiny country miles from anywhere. Mm. Uh, and he's going to ship to get somewhere else. I don't know. I, I feel like that, you know, if, you, if, this was, if this was our company, would we diversify into car making? Or would we say, you know, we're really good at these things. Let's do more of that stuff where we have an advantage. I don't know. I, I don't know. I would be going down that path necessarily. I think I'd happily say, you know what? It's, it's our company. We got really cheap iron ore. I can get the cars back for... I don't know, twenty percent less if I send it overseas. Can bring it, you know. Out, every company does it. They they spin off businesses. They they focus on what they do. They they use someone else. I remember Woolies back in the day used to have its own printing arm. 
called Chisholm Printing. And they would print all their own bags and, and labels and notepads and God knows what. And someone just went, hang on. Like, you know, yes, we feel like we're doing this and we're not paying someone else, so it feels better. But we can actually get, we can actually make more money by buying that stuff cheaper from somebody else. And that, so they did. Um, it just strikes me that that's kind of, it's a nice idea. We wish we could, but if the economics don't work, it actually lowers our standard of living if we if we choose to manufacture it here at, at higher cost, doesn't it? Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and trade trade. This is the the, the great thing about trade. You know, each each uh, country can sort of play to its strengths mm, mm, mm. Um, and and trade with each other, and we're all better off. It's not a zero sum yeah. game. We, we are we are much better off. So you're right. Yeah. We shouldn't we shouldn't be doing something just for the sake of saying that we're doing something. It needs to be something right, that right, we right. have a bit of an edge in. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got we've got a very hardworking, uh, highly educated population. Yep. You know, so there, there. Are, I think there are a lot of areas where we've we've got some really big brains. Unfortunately, and this is mm. this is one of the other things that that I lament is, and it's been talked about a lot in the past, has been the brain drain. Yeah. So you know, <clears throat> when when we produce, you know, uh, the next Einstein, they just like it's in their interest to sort of go work in Europe or the US or something because because right, the right. opportunities are so much faster there. So we sort of we have this bit of leakage of our best and brightest, which is which mm. is a bit of a mm. shame. So you're right, mm. we shouldn't we shouldn't be just doing it for the sake of it. But I I do. Feel Feel as though there are certain areas where we could. On the manufacturing front, I I think there might be a bit of a, a, a transition potentially in, in the coming decades as okay. as automation becomes a bigger thing. So yeah, right. It's been much much cheaper for developing country to do this manufacturing in developing countries because, as you say, mm, that the, mm, the cost mm. of labor is so much cheaper. Yeah. But when you've got robots, right? Yeah. Um, largely, yeah. I know it sort of sounds very sci-fi, but I'm, I'm not. It's not actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not science fiction. It's here. It's now. You exactly. Look at, you look, at, right. look at Tesla, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the gigafactory and what what that kind of things are doing. Once mm-hmm. once you take out the cost of labor, I wonder if a lot of those comparative advantages disappear, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other topic of of, of conversation. Yeah. Um, but it's a good one. It's a good one. It is. Yeah. But it, it's. It, I just. I just feel as though. Um, well, let, let's have a look at some examples here. So mm-hmm. Cochlear, right? That's an Australian success story. Uh, yeah. International, we do that better than anyone uh, else in the world. That, that's a high technology area, which plays to a lot of our strengths, and and we've done incredibly mm. well there uh, on, yeah. on a bionic ear. Um, mm. And and then there's a lot of other examples, I, I think that that would that that we are just demonstrably good at, and that we could we could increase our our share of the pie in terms of mm. the value that mm. we create. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm complete. I, I kind of take your broad point. I think that is the idea. I just don't know. I'm calling me a cynic, mate. I, I don't know how we do that structurally. Like, you know, governments for years have spent, thrown money at car manufacturers so I thought that was where we could make finally, finally break through. If we just save that and, and actually put it into, I don't know, a sovereign wealth fund or tax breaks or, I don't know, maybe actually changing the energy grid, um, you know, the, the outcome could have been much, much, much better, right? I kind of think... I, do I want do I want a bureaucrat or a poly saying I know I'm going to throw money at you know Page Incorporated because he's going to try and invent a bionic eye, I don't know maybe you do it maybe it's great, you know I I just I, I'm just skeptical at the 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 willing you know kind of uh, dispersal of, of taxpayer money just on the on the off chance that a bureaucrat might have a good idea. I, is it yeah for for all the things that we, that we should be able to do, I'd rather government just kind of create some decent settings than get out of the way and let kind of the market do its thing. Not I'm a, a free marketeer, but in that sense. 
I don't know. Throw good money after bad is necessarily what I'd be what I'd be keen for either party in Canberra, either treasurer or trade minister or industry minister with a with, with an ideology and, a, and an election three years away. I don't know. Do you do you really want them taking your money, your your hard earned tax dollars, and saying I'm going to pick some winners? Let's give them some money. Yeah, that, I mean that is that's that's the tricky part. How do you actually how do you actually go about doing it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I I don't know. But then again, at the same time, structurally, we do we do give huge amounts of money in subsidy mm-hmm. to mining, you know? So it's, yeah, it's sort yeah. of like we give huge amounts of subsidy oh, to, yeah, I'm not, to, yeah, to yeah, the totally. fossil fuel industry and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so I kind of feel as though we're already sort of doing it. I think I'd take it know? all away. I honestly take it all away, mate. I just would say, you know what? This is not government's job. Let's get out of the way. Let's absolutely set the settings. Let's, you know, regular, regulations, infrastructure, education, do all that stuff. Mm. And then, kind of, you know, to your point, let's take the car money away and the and the you know the diesel fuel rebates or the or the mining whatever whatever we're doing. Like, just you know, is it really making a difference? Are we really genuinely helping, or are we just lining shareholders' pockets? I'm a shareholder in plenty of companies, and maybe I'm just bitter because I'm not a mining shareholder. I'm not <laughs> sure, but I'm not. I don't know. Is that is that the place? Is that the time? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one. Jeez, um, mm-hmm. oh, mate, I just I don't I don't yeah. have the policy answers for right, it. But right, I just big yeah. big picture though, I think, and I, and I've heard a lot of people far smarter than me sort of remark on on this kind of. Um, Are you been listening to me? Who's say what? You said you've heard a lot of people far smarter than you. I said you've been listening to me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm not smart enough to come back with a witty rejoinder there. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, yeah I, I I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I wish I did. Fair enough, fair enough. On that case, in that case, neither of us know, so we'll move on. Uh, sometimes it's nice that we uh, not our, not our job, right? Yeah. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Speaking of companies that are doing well, and again, I would probably suggest without government support, but maybe there is, I don't really know, is a little graphic design company called Canva. Mm. This is a business that was started, I'm pretty sure, in Perth. Yep. Um, is now on the latest numbers in the AFI on Wednesday, now worth, get this, 54 billion, with a B, Australian dollars. Mm. It's, I, can, I, can I say to you, I'm stoked they're worth that much? Can I also say that a business that does general graphic design software that anyone can use and $54 billion kind of doesn't easily sit with me? Like, not that they shouldn't be worth that, but I kind of... If they're doing some really tricky industrial process with high barriers to entry and some technology that was proprietary and whatever, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, cool, get it. Mm. If you're doing a slightly easier version of Microsoft PowerPoint, and again, I'm being deliberately, and I'm not bagging the camera guys at all, I love the fact they're doing it. I would, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at me rather than them. I'm just really surprised. Like, I, I, you know, if you say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a bit of software that lets you do graphic design well, easily. I'm like, cool, that's great. Sounds like PowerPoint or sounds like Microsoft Paint. Great, okay. Um, do you want to buy $54 billion? No, no, I really do not. I don't think that... It, it, I must say, it isn't worth it. I just, it really struck me as amazing that a graphic design people love and people are paying for and these valuations tend to be multiples of sales or profits and they're obviously there. So again, no no issues for me. And again, I don't want to come across critical. I'm just really, really surprised given the, given the circumstances that a graphic design bit of software that you can trial for free and then pay for it if you want some extra features. It could be worth $54 billion, but I'm glad it's ours and not theirs. Put it that way. Well, I'll put it in context. Please. Telstra <laughs> is worth $47 billion. Is that right? Right? 
And, uh, yeah, that's a top 20 company. It, it's exactly. huge. It's Let's massive. go with that. <laughs> but, but. It's remarkable. But I will say this. So mm, Telstra yeah. is is never <laughs> going to be growing at the kind of rates that Canva is, right? right? right. Telstra is and as big. And doesn't have a global opportunity either. It, this, is, this is the thing that mm. this has been like the real story over the last 20. We, we, with technology and, and, and all yeah, of that yeah. SaaS, all these things that have done really well. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing that's really changed is that this is, you can set up a website or a platform and you literally mm. have mm. a 7 billion <laughs> uh, person addressable market in many yeah, cases. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that's not every single person has a <laughs> that's that's need right. for graphic design software. That's right. But that's there's right. a lot of people around the world. So it's not just the 20 million mm-hmm. people are in Australia who Good might point. be potentially yep. using yep. it. It is global. And, and the yes. other thing is that these companies – they have these lovely positive flywheel effects and network mm-hmm. effects and stuff as well. So once you get mm-hmm. a bit of entrench, uh, entrenchment there, you sort of you you, you start to have incredible uh, economics, really really yeah. nice cash yeah. flows. And what they and it's no secret, you know, what what do you do with that? Well, you don't pay it out as a dividend. That's really dumb. Mm-hmm. You um you keep it in house, <laughs> and you and you you, yeah. you invent the next thing. And, yeah, and, know, and hopefully, if you're smart, you sort of you sort of reiterate on your core competency mm-hmm. and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But is it design software? Yes, it is. <laughs> but what you can do on Canva today is a lot more than you could in, yeah. the, in, in you know, uh, when it first started, a hell of a lot more, and even more than it did yesterday. And I, I suspect, uh, and you, you look at all these companies, the R&D budgets are always significant. You know, Facebook spends a billion, last time I looked, and maybe a year or two ago, they spent a billion dollars in one year on, on research and development. That's and so what, and, and look at Apple as well. They, they yeah. also, something 20% of their revenues is on, is on R&D. So mm. it means that you can actually, the, the market opportunity might actually be uh, much larger than your current, what uh, appears available to you because... You know, you yep. were selling phones. Well, now you're selling tablets and watches and yeah, God knows right. what else in the, in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I actually think that that's, that's why so many of these companies have always looked expensive. I mean, look mm-hmm. at Amazon's the great story here. They started off selling books. That's now, right. now there's web servers. You know, there's yeah, just so yeah. much different stuff that they're doing there. Um, TV mm-hmm. network, you know, sort yeah, of. Right. They're into so many different things, and that has yep. all been enabled from um, from from their sort of their core offering. So, mm-hmm. two things: one, you have to look at the the, the market opportunity. Um, in front of them, available right now, and also the, the potential mm. one, um, mm. and mm. and and also just the just the fact that it has it has so much longer to run than so many of these other companies, and it, you've got to put it in context. They're fifty five billion, yeah, it's a lot of money, but how much money are they yeah. making? Well, how much sales are they making? Totally, totally. How much money could they make if you just wanted to run this thing for cash and pull back on some of your investment related spending and your capex mm-hmm. and the rest of it? So it's. I haven't, I'm no expert on Canva. I haven't looked at the numbers, um, so I, yep, so I yep. can't comment in terms of its relative valuation. But yeah. I'm, not a, I'm, not as, I'm not as, you sort of hear the headline and go, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. when you think on it a little bit more, it's not that unreasonable. I, I, think, that's, I think that's probably fair. Again, I, I, I don't, it's not that I've done the work and think it's horribly overvalued. I just, when someone says graphic design software, 54 billion, in my head, I'm, there's some, some weird thing that kind of doesn't quite, doesn't quite allow, allow those two things to, to sit side by side. Well, I, re- I remember when Facebook listed. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, oh, don't do that. Do you yeah, remember yeah, yeah. we were working together? It was a P, it was yeah, 100 yeah, or exactly. something. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, 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 great company. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's ridiculous. And you know what? It yeah, actually yeah. fell after the IPO, I remember, um, a little bit. And I, I thought, mm-hmm. ah, yes, of course it was. You know, and, then, and then you sort of look back with hindsight. 
hindsight and think, oh my god, it was dirt cheap at the IPO. <laughs> exactly. And it's a good. Ex- it's yeah. a good example of of um, you know. It's hard to overpay for very, very, very high quality assets with huge growth runways and and um, the ability to be sort yes, of self funding. Yes, it's it's yes. Uh, on a global market. It's it's something to behold. Yes, agree, agree. It's um, it's a it's a heck of a story, mate. It's just an amazing, amazing story. Hey, let's um, let's spend a bit of time if you if we if you don't mind talking about COVID again. We, we mentioned at the top not about COVID itself, but about oh, I've written out here companies that will thrive in a post-COVID world. Um, I use post-COVID, I guess. I'm maybe I'm thinking post-lockdown world, quite honestly, because I think the yeah, COVID's uh, with us. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure the uh, the cat's out of the bag on that one. Yep. It's, a, it's an endemic issue now for us to deal with. Mm. Maybe it's the flu, maybe it's not eventually. Maybe it's treated the same way with injections. Um, some really cool news actually only yesterday that Pfizer is apparently going to request authorization for immunization for kids from six months up, yeah. which would be really super cool. So yep. um, it should be a pass of muster again. I, I can't give medical advice, but um, if, if it does pass muster and the medicos are happy, it really would kind of complete the set. Oh, yeah. In terms of our ability to 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 deal with it as an endemic uh, issue, so that that's pretty cool. Um, so, but but look, I guess you know, as investors, again, we talk a lot about looking forward, not just looking back. And we started by talking about the last eighteen months. Maybe maybe let's take the next eighteen months and then beyond, because the world has changed, right? Yeah. And and again, <laughs> thanks, Captain Obvious. But um, as investors, it's so tempting and easy to extrapolate, right? If you'd asked me, I might say this before on the podcast. If you'd asked me eighteen months, nineteen months ago about Sydney Airport. I would have said, great business, monopoly asset, uh, makes a fortune, you know, question always on price, but gee, as a business, is there any better? It's almost locked in revenues, mm. <laughs> you know? Or if you'd mm. said to me, Transurban. And we, you know, we, we talk about toll road type businesses and we use the concept of toll road, literally clipping the ticket on regular revenue. And in this case, cars driving down the road, um, the toll booth type idea is exactly the description we use for these sort of businesses that are regular recurring revenue businesses. You take it to the bank, and then we all stop driving, <laughs> you know. It, it's it's just and it's uh, again we know that right, but it's worth stopping because those, you know, kind of shortcut phrases, analogies, metaphors that we use, because they were so certain, COVID has taught us a whole lot of things, including that you know maybe the only certain in life literally are death and taxes because you can't take Sydney Airport to the bank, you can't take Transurban to the bank, um, retail landlords. Again, you know, massive, massive changes. So mm. if we look forward, this is a real break in the, in the trend line, I think, of, of, of history, right? Um, and on so many different ways, but as investors, we've never, we, you and I would never ever say to people just extrapolate the past. Mm. But we have said before, look, winners tend to keep on winning. Businesses that are doing well have this, you know, you, you could almost see what the growth might look like, what the future might look like. And Transurban has more cars driving down the road. Sydney Airport's got more passengers coming in. They fill the capacity. They charge higher rents. They charge us $84 squillion for car parking at some point. You know, they, these were reasonably easily, if not forecastable, you could kind of get a reasonable range of outcomes and say, I see where this is going. And then COVID comes along and just changes our lives in super, super obvious ways. The first is obviously the question about working from home. The mm. second is about, you know, where do we even work? Even if we're not working from home, is it a hub and spoke thing now? Do more of us, you know, work in shared offices in regional areas rather than all going to the CBD, the kind of the honeypot idea of everyone's got to go to the cities? Mm. Retail, another super obvious one. Um, do we go back to the shops? Some people say, yeah, of course we do. Some people say, no, we never do. Mm. Um, travel, again, do we jump on a plane? Do we jump on cruise ships? Mm. These things are worth asking because if, on one hand, we go back to normal and the, that, that is undervalued right now, then there's a massive opportunity. If we don't go back to normal, 
maybe they're overvalued. And again, you know, we take a view on, on other companies. So I guess I just wanted to just spend a little bit of time, mate, just chatting through some of those things because as an investor, we're not looking for the six-month gain. We're not looking for what bounces back and how do we make a quick 20%. Hmm. But to the extent that this changes the trajectory of the future of some of these businesses, we need to have a view on that, right? We need to at least, even if the US I don't know, um, you know, we, you know, any investment requires a a reasonable view of some possible outcomes in the future, and this changes that story, right? Yes, um, this is not an original observation, but I'll I'll make it anyway. Is, is I I think what COVID has done is it really hasn't changed um, too many businesses. Uh, from a structural standpoint, I think it is mm-hmm. right. Even if we sort of are living with it longer term, it, it, it is it is not something that changes anything in and of itself. But it does accelerate trends that were already in play. Right, right. So people were already making the shift to online uh, retail. People were yep. already making the shift to working from home. Not anywhere near the pace mm-hmm. that that COVID has sort of forced that on. Uh, people buying lottery tickets online as opposed to going <laughs> to the new. There's a million right, different right, right. examples that, that yes, are sort yeah. of out there. Yep. So I think I think that's the that's the thing. I think um, certain companies that were in structural decline are, are still in structural decline. Those that had a nice wind at their back because the mm-hmm. world was changing in their favour, I think, is still there. But it's just it's just pushed it all forward. So yeah. or brought it all forward, pulled it forward. Um, can you push something forward? I don't think you can. Yeah, sure. Um, you stand behind and push it forward. Let's do that. Oh yeah, okay. Um, Mate, but, you'd, you'd never you'd never pushed a car off the side of a road if you think you push something forward. If you, if you had to push a car or run out of petrol off a road, you know, you know exactly. It might be hard, but it's possible. I haven't, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but many years ago, mate, my old Toyota Corona. That's a sad and sorry tale that I'll leave for another time. <laughs> yeah, but I just think I've actually encountered a lot of what Howard Marks would probably refer to as first level thinking with, with yeah. people sort of thinking yeah. through that. So it's sort of like, oh, and, and it's right. It's right to a certain degree to sort of say this will pass. Travel is a great example. Mm-hmm. It will return. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people sort of, you know, buying up Webjet, Flight Center, Qantas, these these kinds mm-hmm. of things on that. But yeah. but th- th- there's a there's a, there's a couple of things there. So this this is okay. That's mm-hmm. that I think is a reasonable view. But you mm-hmm. also need to know how quickly that is going to happen. Remember, th- right. Flight Center, Webjet, and I think Qantas actually about they've had a good run in the last month or so. But they're actually mm-hmm. back to where they were in November of last year. And people have been right, talking okay. about that story sort of all the way th- sort of through. Yeah. <laughs> And it's sort of like it's okay. Look, another step back. <clears throat> we've we've said repeatedly mm-hmm. the true value of a company is the discounted value of all its future cash flows. Yes. Now <laughs> let's, can we can we stop and do that? Hold your thought because mm-hmm. that's an easy thing for us to say. And third, a third of our listeners has gone. What? Huh? How, what, what do you mean? Okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say I, I I'm going to give you ten bucks in a year's time. Oh, um, okay. Well, so I'd, I'd rather have it now, but sure. <laughs> what would you, what would you pay for that? Now, you're not going to give me 10 bucks just to give you 10 bucks in a year because you've just not True. had your 10 bucks for a year and you've, nice. you've made no return on it. So, you know, what, what, you, what you think that is worth probably depends on how trustworthy you think I am and, <laughs> and all well, you know, the, the, yeah, risk, exactly. the risk that's involved and the rest of it. But assuming you think yeah. I'm a pretty good bet and yeah. then you've yeah. got to look at, well, then there's opportunity cost. Well, I could put it in the bank. I could put in some shares, you know, but, you know, mm-hmm. you'd probably, you wouldn't be unreasonable to sort of say, well, I'll pay you. I'll pay you nine bucks if you pay me ten bucks uh, uh, next year, because because then you get about a ten percent return. Right. Um, so it's kind of the equivalent. If you said, "Look, can I borrow? You, can I borrow some money from you?" Yeah. I, the, the other way you might look at it is say, "Well, yeah, okay, I'll, I've got I've got nine bucks back. Probably you can have it, but gee, I want I want I want 
10 bucks back in a year's time because I think I can earn some money on that nine bucks. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's the same thing you just said just the other way around, which is, well, I'm giving up something by giving you the money. Yeah. I want more in future to make it worthwhile because I could have spent it, I could have invested it, I could have mm. done whatever. So I'm not going to just want nine bucks back at some future point. I want more than that. So I think everyone gets that, right? But and, and that's it. That's the concept of discounted cash flow. Let's right, let's right. take it forward. So, well, a company will earn X dollars in profit next year. Mm-hmm. Year after that, they'll earn Y and Z, right. and then continue and continue. So, all you do is you take the exact same exact same process we did, which used to apply it to each year. So, over one year, it might be well, I'll pay you if you're going to pay me back in one year. Uh, 10 bucks back in one year well maybe I'll, I'll give you 9 bucks mm, for that mm, in 2 mm. years well I'd want more of a discount because now I've got to wait <laughs> 2 right. years 3 right. years and so the further you go out the more you need to discount it um, mm-hmm. but that's it and that that is the I think as I reiterate Buffett's words here the only logical way to value a company yeah right um, okay. makes sense uh so when you think, there's so much to say on that, but but, Isn't there? <laughs> but but when you think about that and you sort of work through the mass and you take mm-hmm. out the first, you just wipe out the, the, the first year's worth of earnings. I was expecting 10 bucks, now I'm going to get zero. Does yeah. that change the value of, of that? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. But if, if things go back to normal really quickly, I've still got, you know, 99 plus years or whatever it is of, of yeah, these yeah, other like cash it. flows that haven't yep. changed. So so the change shouldn't, shouldn't be... Uh, too much in in and of itself. Mm, mm, mm. Um, the, the the now where it gets tricky, of course, is with a company. We actually don't know how much it's going to earn next year, let alone <laughs> yeah. let alone in ten years. Yeah, and, yeah. and we 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 also don't know what the cost of money is going to be. As we were saying mm-hmm. before, interest rates are really low. Maybe they'll be much higher in the future. And at higher interest rates, therefore, bigger mm. opportunity costs. The more I want mm. a, I want a discount to compensate me for those future mm. cash flows. So it's all very easy. It's one of those things that's really simple and accurate. We can simply and accurately define perfectly. Mm. We can mm. never calculate it uh, perfectly, though. That, that is the tricky part. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is that with, with a lot of these companies, people have looked at these, these ructions and, and felt as though it's just given... Uh, incredible value and stuff when it doesn't necessarily think through it all properly because right. if you get some of those timings wrong and the impacts wrong, it can actually have a bit of a, a bit of a difference. And it also requires, if, if you're sort of just trying to have a bit of a trade on uh, a recovery bump, well, firstly, mm. you've got to time it on the way in and then you've got to time <laughs> yeah, it on the way out, right. which is another sort of tricky thing as well. So I... I I forget the original question that you asked. So we're so far off off topic. No, so so we were talking about we we're talking about you know trying to trying to work out what the new world might look like, right. and work out how to invest on that on oh, a okay. new world basis, right? Yes. So to some degree, we're saying the new world is, uh, or, you know, there, there are different ways to play it. One is nothing changes. Mm. One is things change for the short term, then go back to normal. The other is they don't change at all, or current trends continue. So we're kind of obliged to at least have a. Not, not a forecast of the future, but if you're buying a retailer right now, you better hope those sales keep growing. And whether you're buying online or offline retail, you've got to ask different questions. Now, yeah. on one hand, the offline retailer, in theory, if it doesn't have a decent online business, is in kind of structural decline. On the other hand, the online retailer has had a spectacularly great 2021 mm. financial year and arguably the next year's not going to be quite so great. So there's, there's some really interesting decisions to make about how much you pay for those businesses. Yep. Is is the decline, you know, the death of the death of physical retail, is that overdone? Are the shares too cheap? Mm. Maybe. Are the shares of online retailers too expensive because they are going to have a crap year coming up? Maybe. Or maybe the exact reverse is true. And that's, you know, whether it's, it's tempting to not want to have a view, but if you're buying retail stocks, you kind of better have some sort of sense of what the, the medium long-term future looks like right on that basis. It's a paradox in a way because on one hand we're saying, <clears throat> well, 
you, well, I'll say, <laughs> I think it's very, it's, 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 it's impossible to accurately predict the future. I mean, who knows what's going to come out of left field? I mean, who knows what Flight Centre will earn next year? You, you, mm, you, mm, it's mm. impossible to know. But on the other yeah. hand, we're saying, well, actually, that's the whole basis of how you should value a company. Mm. So it's like, well, it's really, that's a really difficult um, circle to square. Um, what I would say, though, is that it's all about, it's, a, it's, it's about trying to make the big decisions that you know are generally going to be true as opposed to trying mm-hmm. to get lost in the specifics which you've got no hope of predicting accurately. Right. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? So I think I, yeah, like that, that has made things a lot easier for me as a long-term investor. What's Woolies mm. uh, earnings per share going to be in 2023? Uh, yeah. I've got, no, got no idea. What's the average rate of growth a very large, mature, entrenched business like Woolies could, could reasonably mm. expect mm. over mm. the longer mm. term? Well, that's much easier. You know, maybe a bit of uh, inf- inflation plus, plus a little bit of additional growth. You know, it's probably sort of lower to mid-single digits. I bet you I'm going to be pretty right on, on that, even mm-hmm. though in, in specific years I'm going to be really wildly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but if you stick to that, that core view, it's, it's about it's, – I know I always say it. It's about being generally right as opposed to specifically yep. wrong. Yep. So, so when I look at a, a retailer – I've sort of commented before that I, I don't generally like retailers too much because mm. they're just a tough business as a, as a general rule because mm. um, they're so cyclical, d- d- dependent on consumer discretionary spending, very tough, mm. competitive, mm. generally low-margin environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but – <laughs> But you can still yep. you, you you don't you, you but whatever you get to a price where it basically says actually at this mm. price you know Woolies really only needs to just match inflation if it just doesn't <laughs> grow at all I'm yeah. still going to make money yeah. so now what yeah. is that I can't do the maths in my head and I'm certainly not going to do it verbally but <laughs> but you know I, somewhere between one dollar mm. and yeah. a hundred dollars there's a there's yeah. a really fantastic price to pay for Woolworth shares and one that doesn't require you to have this hyper specific forecast of, of of cash flows out over the next five years or so um, b- because you can base it on that it's, it's one of those things where it's like geez even if they miss the mark so at, give the stupid example here let's buy Woolies at a dollar. Well, I mean, like, I almost—I'm probably going to make my money back in dividends in the first year, right? So it's—it's in—it doesn't really matter at at, at that point you, where mm. you don't—you don't have to be dependent on having a very clear view of what earnings are going to be over that time frame. I'm kind of rambling and going all over the place here, but am I am I making sense? No, you're absolutely making perfect sense, mate. I. I, I I kind of almost entirely completely agree. <laughs> almost. Um, well, here's the thing, right? Like, I think. I think there's a lot of stuff going on where, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get back to ethical investing again, though we keep having questions about it, but Whitehaven Coal, right? I, I don't think I'm going to buy the stock. I don't really love the fact that the long term is not looking pretty great or if it is, then we're all in trouble. But the shares have almost tripled in the last three months. Mm. And so that's there's a, great a combination. Mm. Well, and so there's a combination of both. Right? And that's, I guess that's what I mean. So the general view at the moment is, as you've already said, there's a structural change. Online retail is now in growth. Physical retail is in decline. Um, therefore, avoid physical retailers. Now, I will say Mosaic Brands that owns, I think, Noni B and Katie's and Portman's and other things um, had to raise capital because it doesn't have an online business. And so mm-hmm. its offline business is really, really struggling. It's raising capital just to stay in business. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that, that's that's proof. See, proof that therefore physical retail is dead, therefore online retail is the future. That's all fine. On the other hand, JB Hi-Fi, for the first seven months, seven weeks, six weeks of the new financial year, sales were down 15 to 17%. Mm. And so you kind of go, well, 
what do you do with that information? Do you, do you back the online? Is, I think Kogan drink. Um, mm-hmm. I own shares for full disclosure. Everyone who's already listening knows that. Um, uh, you know, it, it also is having sales decline because they did so many sales this time last year and no one's surprised about that. Mm. But it's also that exact question, right? Like it's that, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you buy the cheap physical retailer because it's just too cheap to ignore right now? Maybe. Do you buy the online retailer because it's got 10 years of growth? Maybe. Or do you say, well, it might have 10 years of growth, but gee, if last year was 20, 30, 40% above, what, above normal, then I'm still paying too much because even if you discount that, you know, those cash flows to your point, mm. we're paying for a much lower base potentially this year. Mm. Retail landlords, same thing, right? Is, is Westfield fine because Westfield's Westfield? Or is Westfield in trouble because Meyer and DJs eventually go broke, especially retailers lose business and eventually are subscale at a, at a physical retail level, so I sell the shares? Or do I say, well, Westfield's going to have a decent future. It might be the second or third tier shopping centres that go broke, but Westfield's going to be fine. Mm. And those are the kind of things, and just a couple of examples, but those are the kind of things that I think is really hard right now. Like I, I think those things are less clear than ever, even despite those changes, maybe because it's partly about the, the, the structural change, but it's partly about what the market's already assuming. Mm. You know, th- those stocks mm. have been bid up because they're the cool kids. Um, those stocks that have been smashed because no one loves them anymore, you know, mm. <laughs> are, we, are we right to say, you know, winners keep on winning? Yeah, you know, online retail's expensive, but buy more of it. Or do you say, gee, mate, if I can get Westfield for a dime or, you know, Mosaic Brands even post-capital raising for almost nothing, mm. the future's going to be brighter than the market's assuming. Well, gee, there's the opportunity. Mm. It's, I, I don't have any good answers, mate, but it, it's, I, I spent a lot of time, I was going to Whitehaven Coal. A similar example, that, that very clear idea of where we go on that, um, you know, if, if you'd avoided it because the long term's dead, you missed a triple. Mm. That's expensive. If you, if you, now maybe you don't care, maybe you don't want to play that game, maybe you, you're prepared to say, "Well, I might be wrong." Mm. When I say you, I don't mean you. I mean all of us. But all of that, all of that same thing. It's, it's like, what do you do? What do you do with that? Where, how do you, how do you invest accordingly? Do you go and jump in a transurban to Sydney Airport now? Now, Sydney Airport's already, by the way, more expensive than it was pre-pandemic. Despite the fact there's no planes in the air. Mm. So that, that opportunity is like completely gone, right? If you were someone who said, I know, I'm going to buy Sydney Airport before the pandemic's over, well, you've missed your chance. Mm. But again, on the flip side, you've got the same thing. So uh, that's, where, that's where I struggle. I struggle with the, 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 I agree with you, we look out long term, but working out what the right base to start from is, that's a tough one. It is. It, it is really hard. I, I, I have, I, you, you touched on it there before. You, you just don't play the game. As long. Will a company that's really not got great economics and is probably in a long-term structural decline, can can you do well on that short-term if, if you do well with the timing? Oh, absolutely, you can. Yeah. I mean, you can do yeah. really well. Look at Whitehaven Coal. As you say, it's yeah. tripled in the last year yeah. or so. So exact proof positive, but but I can't play that. I can't predict why that's going to swing around. But what I but, can but say is that, well, let's pan out for a little bit. Whitehaven Coal mm-hmm. shares are about the same as where they were 10 years ago. Um the, co- the company really is not making a lot of money for shareholders. <laughs> uh, uh, in fact, if I just have a, a quick look now, their earnings yeah. have gone uh, nowhere. Their sales are below mm-hmm. where they were in, in 2017, 2018, yeah. before COVID. You know, it, it's sort of... Yeah, exactly. There, there, are, there are some questions within that that sort of like, I just don't want to... I don't want to take those bets because they're just too hard. Yeah. And like you, I don't know where to start, even though I know that within that there is a possibility that I could get, get a bit of short-term luck and, and triple my money. Mm-hmm. But then there are other bets that are just much, much, much safer. Uh, what's the future going to bring? I don't know. But prob- probably people still need to buy milk and bread. Right, know? right, right. And Coles and Woolies 
and Aldi and those ones, you know, they're probably likely to be a big part of that story. So there, there are yeah, there yeah. are always unknowns, but there are some bets that are just I would mm. far rather take than, <laughs> than others. It's like trying to predict uh, recessions and bear markets, and I don't know, they're yeah. going to be there, but I, I but I I don't have to predict that, as we often talk about. All I have mm, to predict, mm. and I'm still making a prediction, is that uh, probably long term, on average, economy probably go around three percent. You know, markets will probably deliver somewhere around a double-digit type return. And just it's 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 generally correct as opposed to specifically wrong. Just to repeat myself there again, that's that's what you do. And when you get to a scenario, and this will be the default. In fact, this will be the more common common scenario when you're looking at a particular business and you just you just can't reach any kind of general conclusion with confidence. Mm, um, that's mm. fine. You just just walk on yeah. until you until you can. Um, yeah. Will Cochlear be around in 10 years' time? I bet you my left arm they will be. Uh, you know, and, and even if there's a new yeah, technology yeah. that's out there, they'll probably be very involved with that because of all the R&D and stuff that they do. Uh, will Google be around in 10 years' time? Will BHP be around in 10 years' time? Yeah, I think, I think, there, are, I think there are certain, mm. certain things, mm. statements you can make which are just there are always a, a probability a probabilistic element to it and you could be wrong but the odds are just so much better rather than geez is the share price in Whitehaven Coal going to triple in the next three months should I buy some shares it's two very different yeah, questions yeah. I think that's right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a slight wrinkle though because three months maybe is is uncomfortably short and I agree with you you couldn't have picked it but maybe Whitehaven was just cheap three months ago that's a different question right mm. Did, if the pace of the recovery wasn't knowable was the in fact, it was just cheap. And if you triple your money in, in a year and three months when you thought it might have been three years, I, I'd, I'd happily triple my money in seven years, right? Yeah. If I, in terms of the average return. Yeah. Seven years, yeah, roughly that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably a 15% return, right? So Great. something like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if Whitehead was just outright cheap then, the investor who said, hey, this thing's got way carried away, it's way too cheap. Now, maybe, mm. maybe it falls again, right? Maybe this is the high point and maybe in seven years' time it's 20 cents and never gets higher than this point again. And again, it's always easy using hindsight examples, right? Of, of course, this was going to happen, so mm. therefore I should have done X. Mm. But this was a deeply, deeply, deeply unloved stock by most of the market in an area that was tough. And again, it's difficult because it's coal and I, I wish I had a, a more, uh, a less controversial example, right? Mm. But but to some degree, if we'd grabbed that and just said, well, why am I just outright cheap? I don't mm. need to know even when it's going to be, you know, going to be worthwhile. Harvey Norman is currently nine times earnings. Mm. Now, yes, historical earnings, blah, blah, blah. Is that cheap? I don't know. We'll find out in time. Mm. But- you know, maybe I guess that's what I'm wondering. Do we do we is now the time to look for contrarian ideas because the market has responded so dramatically, so viscerally to COVID, or do we say the other dramatic response is look at the consumer, look at the business environment, look at the market. Maybe you buy Westfield because it's cheap, or maybe you avoid it because it's going to get cheaper because the businesses and consumers have made their decisions. Mm. That's the hard one. It's why it just keeps for me. It just always keeps coming back to this idea of valuation. I'm just mm-hmm. you know not not reams and reams and gigabytes of spreadsheet data and anything like that. But just, (laughs) you have to. I think, I really, I just, it's almost ideological for me at this point where I Uh just think you have to have an individual, independent assessment of value before you buy a share. Because otherwise, how do you know? So your Whitehaven example. So I think a very uh, objective, prudent person could have potentially looked at the business and said, yeah, I get things that's mm, tough, but mm, like even mm, if this thing, you know, is zero in 10 years' time, I can still, mm, you know, and, and their, their profits drop by 10%. Well, they don't make profits, <laughs> but like, their sales continue. <laughs> Hypothetically. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a bit unfair. They yeah, generally yeah. do make profits. Know, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, you, you, can, know. you can draw a line there. It actually goes, well, not a hell of a lot has to go <laughs> yeah, right, right here and I, I can still that's do right, that. And right. then it's not, so it's not, a, this is the mistake 
everyone makes, particularly new investors, they go, mm. shares have fallen, ergo cheap. Shares have gone up, ergo expensive. And it's entirely yeah. wrong. Shares can go up and be cheaper. Shares can fall and become more expensive as the news and the outlook and that and that changes. So you, yeah. you always have to come back to, to that view. Um, but here's the, here's the other, here's the rub though. We sort of, I'm sort of making this example that maybe maybe a little while ago someone could have made this case on on Whitehaven and and that's yeah. what and that's why they've tripled their money. Well, yeah. they could have been 100 percent right, and the share price could have dropped another 50 percent over that mm-hmm. that time frame. Or it could have been that actually nothing's changed whatsoever except some market sentiment, and that's what's caused the triple. <laughs> so you can be right for the wrong reasons in this exactly, game as exactly. well. Yes, and the yes, market right. is just going to con- all this signal every right. single minute of every single day when it's open, just sending you right. these little signals up, down. You're smart. You're dumb. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. And it's just it's you. It, you've really got to as again quote Buffett. The market is there to serve. It's not there to inform. So I just keep coming mm. back to start forget about the share market look at the business do is this a nice business with attractive economics yeah. and a bright future one where i don't have to be i don't have to make some really grand assumptions and hyper specific mm. assumptions to know it's just like yeah, yeah this is a very solid sensible well-run business it'll be around for a, be, uh, for a long time and probably be worth mm. a lot more in five years time or probably be let me clarify probably have a much <laughs> higher profit in five years and ten years time yeah. than it does yeah. today yeah. Uh, and what is that worth with some very basic general assumptions with a big mm. fat margin of safety in there to account for the fact that your assumptions are all going to be mm. wrong anyway? And you can you can you can get to a reasonable assessment, and then you just look at the market. Okay, so I I would say you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a billionaire that's looking to buy Whitehaven Coal outright. Mm. Would I buy it? Well, at this price, I would. Is the market letting me buy it at this price? No? Okay, walk on. Yeah. Chuck it on a wait, wait watch list yeah, right. if I have to. Maybe set an right, alert, right, right. you know, and come back when the opportunity's there. But just because Mr. Market's knocking on your door, you don't have to let him in. You slam the door in his face. Most of the time, you should be slamming the door in his face because he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's got, either going to try and buy your shares too cheaply yeah, or, or yeah, you know, or try and yeah, sell them to yeah. you for, for too, too high a price. So I, I think that is the thing that you continually come back to. And if you can mm-hmm. do that and you can do that with a sense of um, humility and awareness mm-hmm. of the difficulty in this, being generally right, taking a longer-term view, taking the easy bets where you ignore the stuff that's in the too-hard basket and then just mm-hmm. treating the market as something where you can be opportunistic, where maybe lightening the load if, 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 if he's being a bit silly, maybe mm. taking advantage of him when he's being too generous. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's generally it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know, mate. I don't know. So, so, so I don't own shares in JB Hi-Fi. If I did, right. I actually think it's a great retailer. I, I, I really missed the trick with not buying it years ago. Yep. But would I be worried that, that earnings have dropped 15% or whatever you said? Not in the slightest. It was always obvious, right? right? Like, again, yeah, I didn't know if yeah. 15, was it going to be, you know, 14.8%. I don't know. But, mm. but you, we, we did know that a lot of sales were pulled forward. We knew yeah. that was going to make a harder comparison for the next year that when we look at it. But that was never the bet, or at least it shouldn't have been for investors. It should have been, you know, on average, how, are these, how is this business going to perform in the future? Mm. Does, this, mm. does this decline in earnings reflect some massive structural mm. issue that this, this company is facing? Or is this just what you would expect in a highly cyclical industry that's just had an exceptionally great year. Um, I'd, I'd probably say it's the latter. And, and, and that is very different to a business that might be under, going through a financial scandal and the CFOs run off to Jamaica with the, all the money and, you know, the, the, the AFP's knocking on the door to that's do right, a raid right. on your headquarters. Right. You know, there's, there's very different reasons as to, as to um, mm, these mm. things and, and, and a lot of them are probably not worth worrying about. 
think that's right. I think that's right. I'm going to add just a couple of thoughts, mate, and we'll wrap this up. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, and it depends, to my mind, on what sort of investor you're trying to be. So, you know, if, if, if you have a view, and I, I don't have this strong view, but let's just, for the sake of putting up a big, um, you know, extreme example. If you have a view that White Hammer's worth zero at some future time because coal mining is outlawed in Australia, then you're playing chicken with the share price from this point forward. Because you're saying, okay, this is effectively and eventually a zero, a zero value business. Um, can I get in, make some money and get out before it goes to zero? Mm. If that's your view, then you're playing chicken. Now, you can have that view and try that. Uh, too rich for my blood. I'm not going to do that. I don't think it's worth trying to play chicken in that scenario. But that'd be the game you're playing. And mm. so for me, I don't look at Whitehaven Coal because I have no idea what, as you said, the three, five, 10 year policy responses Too hard. Uh, and therefore value costs are. Now, maybe I'm missing a big opportunity and that's okay because it's also cool. fine to miss, right, it's also fine to miss things just because you don't know. It's fine to have a big, too hard pile. Yep. So, so that's, that's for me is, is kind of, that's an easy one. Retail is harder, mate, because, and this is also where it's difficult try and, trying to pick trends. I think eventually JB Hi-Fi's business is in a modicum of trouble value-wise because at some future point, as sales move online, it's, what is it, a couple hundred stores, 300 stores? Um, maybe it's not that many. At some point, they become potentially uneconomic at a unit economic level, mm. right? Because JB Hi-Fi as an organisation, as a brand, is going to be great. But what do you do when the, the store sales start falling by a couple of percent a year? Online can grow through the roof, but at some point you look at that store and go, well, that's, that's going to cost me money. That's gone from being profit generating to loss generating. Mm. So then do I start to shut the stores? How many stores do I shut? What cost do I incur or bear while I keep them open? Mm. That's a really hard story for me to try and work through. Now, on the same token, I've lost a lot of money in terms of opportunity cost over the last five years with that view. Mm. I, I, I still believe that view is right, mm. but because I had that view and because I didn't know the timing, I missed, a I missed a trick. Now, in hindsight, I think it's fair to say I was way too risk-averse I saw what I think is still likely to happen, but because it might happen at some future point, I simply avoided the investment. Now, maybe, maybe that's the right thing because maybe it could have happened three years ago or maybe I overweighted the downside risk and missed the chance that in the meantime, it's online sales going to keep growing, it's store sales going to grow for a period of time. But like Myra and DJs and everyone else, at some point, if you've got too many stores, you're not going to have enough traffic. If online sales go from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 25% of retail sales, you can't maintain, I don't think, that many stores in, in almost any retailer, mm. right? You go to these really big box destination stores, there might be 18 JB Hi-Fi's across Sydney rather than probably with a 60 or something, whatever there is, because you don't need one. You can't justify the cost. Mm. And so there is, there's, you know, I think there'll be a change to the business model at some point. The, the challenge for us, I think, as investors is to work out, you know, is the trend likely, but also how far out are we guessing? You know, did, did I, do you think I made a mistake missing JB five years ago on that thesis, mate? Or was it the right thing because if it happens eventually, it's still worth avoiding just in case? Do you have – and be, yeah. be brutal, be fair. Like, yeah, what, well, what would well, you, well how, that, would you, how would you think about that? Well, well you, you did miss a trick. I'm so did I because we know right. with hindsight that it's turned out to be really great. <laughs> right. But, but, but were you wrong <laughs> in doing that? No, I don't think right. – I don't think – I would never, ever criticise any investor that didn't make mm -hmm. an investment – because they mm -hmm. just didn't have uh, any conviction in, in something. Even yeah, if maybe right. they should have, maybe it could have. Um, you know, it just, mm. th that's, that is fine. You've got to get, I've taken okay. me a long time to get to this realisation. I don't have to be an expert in everything. I don't have to have <laughs> perfect vision on everything. Yeah. I don't yeah. care that, well, I do care. I, I would have yeah, loved yeah. to have picked the Oslotto numbers last, on Tuesday <laughs> and won $20 million. I didn't. But, yeah. you know, I'm not yeah. going to lose yeah. any sleep over that. There's a million opportunities yeah. that yeah. missed every day. If I could go back yeah. in time, mate, I would go back to 2013 and I would put the farm on Bitcoin <laughs> and I would have made a $3 million percent return. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you know? And so, that's right. So that's, that's, that's right. that. 
that stuff doesn't bother me in the slightest, um, and I don't. I don't think you should let it bother you as well. There, are, there, are, there are some things, <laughs> and and what you can, even though you may have missed an opportunity there, you, you've still got the opportunity now of a lesson in in all of that uh, as well. Um, so uh, I don't get hung up about it. When I look at my portfolio, mate, I've got companies in there. Then I'm not going to be able to tell you what I think they'll they'll be earning in a few years' time, but I've got a pretty high conviction that they're around and the and the earnings growth is good, <laughs> if I can put it that way, <laughs> you know, at least of a certain quantum, yeah. and yeah. and that's my benchmark, that's that's my metric, that's what I'm sort of watching, and as long yeah. as that continues to play out, I'm sort of happy to hold no matter what the share price happens to do. In fact, if the nice. share price goes down, I'll buy a bunch more. As long again, as long as nothing's changing, I'm nice. not trying to bury my head in the stand and convince myself and ignore the. Mm nor the obvious mm-hmm. or by, by the opposite token if, if it turns out that there's been good objective reason to sort of doubt that initial, mm-hmm. initial mm-hmm. hypothesis get the hell out mm-hmm. a profit loss whatever doesn't matter get out thesis broken mm-hmm. and I, I just keep coming I keep coming back to those things that yes we, we will never have perfect vision of the future but there are some bets of the future that are just much easier than, than others <laughs> and, and okay, stick, so stick with the easier ones be generally right as opposed to specifically wrong. Um, be opportunistic on the market and, 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 and back your conviction. If you don't have conviction, be happy enough to, to let it go slip you by. All right, last question. Are there any companies you own now, own more of or are more comfortable with in a post-COVID world than you were before? So as the listeners listening, they've made it this far through the podcast. Um, are there companies, if there are, which companies? Well, maybe you don't own them yet. Maybe you like them. But if I said to you, yeah, okay. you know, which, which businesses do you own? Have you bought? Would you buy? Mm. Because of the benefits that a, I say again, I say post COVID, maybe a post lockdown world, the, uh, the benefits that a post lockdown world will bring or a post experience, right? The, since, since the world has changed in the last 18 months, are there any businesses you own now or would own, have bought more of because you're looking forward to that? Um, let me think of an, I, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, there are Catapult, right? So these guys make yep. sport, they, they do, um, mm-hmm. they have, uh, trackers in elite sporting teams and players that track yep. all their analytics and whatever. Now they got they got hit by a, 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 a truck during COVID because a lot of yep. international sport, a lot of sport, full stop, just stopped. Yes, right, right. Yeah. And so that was really yeah. bad for the business. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. have a great year, but you know what? Mm. They they actually weathered the storm really well. They didn't lose mm. many. I don't think they've hardly lost any customers at all. The, the existing customers they had continued to pay the money. They pivoted, they adapted. So, so there are situations where that sometimes play out where it's objectively bad for the business and certainly wasn't something I was expecting. But I do get a lot of comfort in it in the fact that, wow, that got thrown at them and they're still okay. Um, in fact, they've emerged out the other side arguably much stronger than they did. Would I prefer it never happened? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but does it, does it, despite that, does that change my view on the business? Actually, yeah, a little bit for the, for the, for the better. So I think, okay. I think there are a lot of shareholders can take solace in that fact that even though COVID absolutely, not just from a market price sentiment perspective, but from an actual actual fundamental business perspective, really did just knock things around for a little bit. Yeah, okay. if, if you've managed to weather the storm, I think that's a it's that anti-fragile to sort of mm, quote mm, um, Taleb, <laughs> you know, kind of nature of a business <laughs> that you want. Because again, looking forward, what is going to be the next thing that comes out of left field? Well, by definition, <laughs> I don't know. It is it is the yeah, black yeah. swan while we're speaking yeah. with Taleb. Um, but <laughs> but for the businesses that that can can weather through that kind of stuff, that's that's been something mm. I would 
was I thought was interesting having gone through it is and actually reassuring for a lot of my businesses, even though a lot of the share prices took a hit, it's just sort of like, oh yeah, these businesses are actually pretty robust. And actually Oh nice. That's the, the, the long term the long term thesis yeah, hasn't, yeah. hasn't changed at all. In fact, it's probably been accelerated in, in some ways because of some of the, the uh, accelerated adoption of, of the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, mate. I think that's absolutely true. I'm probably uh, less keen to buy businesses. I'm, I'm less keen to assume that everything's going to be okay. Um, not in a not in an absolute sense, uh, you know, across, across the world. But um, again, the example I use at the beginning of the Sydney airports, transurbans of the world. Mm. Um, just the reminder that yes, it's a once in a century pandemic. Maybe it never happens again. But the idea that you know you're you're safe because of the things you can foresee <laughs> has been has been absolutely um, taken to the woodshed, right? So so it's, it's not possible to do that. The travel company, similar thing, right? How you know, who, who would possibly mean you know stop travel between Australia and the rest of the world? Well, mm. turns out the Webjet flights and a corporate travel and others have been again taken to the woodshed for exactly that reason. Mm. Um, now I did, I, I, by the way, um, I did uh, contribute some money towards corporate travel's capital raising in 2020. Um, I I feel felt very good about that because it's a good business, well run with not. I don't know as much debt at all. It's a little bit of debt. Maybe a net cash now, but close enough to it. Um, so that, that just felt, so I added to that. Mm. I think the likes of, uh, I'll say Kogan again for the fun of it, Kogan, Templar, Webster, um, Drink. Uh, Jumbo, you mentioned on lottery tickets before. Yeah, these I like are business, I don't. I got shares. Yeah, mm. these are business, I haven't added to the other two, but I, added, I did add to Kogan, I think, during the pandemic. Um, these are these are businesses that, that have bright futures. And yes, as you say, the next year might be rugged versus the previous year because 2021 was spectacularly good. Um, but yeah, the, the trends are accelerated, if anything. And I think that's where there is opportunity. If you're looking out five and 10 years and saying, you know, will Kogan sales in 10 years' time be higher than they would have been without the pandemic? I think almost certainly, yeah. And at the very least, they're going to be as good. And so if I like the company before it, I should like the company every bit now, even if it's volatile as a result. And the same with Templar Webster, the same with Jumbo Interactive, the online lottery ticket seller. Um, I, I am less keen than I was on the physical retailers for the reason we've already talked about. So yeah, I think you're, you made the point of the trends were true, COVID accelerated them, mm. and that's true. But I do think if you're looking at the softer year-on-year numbers specifically, I think that's also a mistake. And I'd be, I'd be just, again, to your point, looking five years out, 10 years out and saying, is this business bigger, better, more profitable, more valuable? Yes. Mm. Okay, well then that's, that's the big story, not the next few months. But there are some businesses that I think now are going to be even less worth even less now in the future because of COVID and I think physical retailers there. I wouldn't be buying office um, REITs, property mm. trusts. Mm. I wouldn't be buying commercial retail um, REITs, again, for the same reason. Maybe I'm wrong, mm. but given the trends that are real, given what we know about unit economics of these sort of operations, uh, at the moment, by the way, Sydney CBD capacity is 4%, I read the other day. So one in 25 workers who was previously coming is still coming to the office, the other 24 are staying home. Now that'll change, of course it will. Mm. But if it goes back to 23, 24 out of 25, that's mm. enough for some of those office buildings to effectively be un- uneconomic for, for their owners. So it's a, it's a big set of changes coming. Oh, man, so much to say. Yeah, that's true too. But then, you, then you've got to factor in the, um, the, the savvy entrepreneur factor. And I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that what will happen is even if, we, even if that trend continues to play out, in fact, accelerates, mm-hmm. there'll probably be a lot of people who'd love to live in the city. And yeah, they'll maybe, right. maybe they'll convert a lot of those offices yep. to... Re- yeah, I mean, yeah. Imagine living in some of those beautiful yeah. buildings right on the harbour and, you mm-hmm. know, it's like mm-hmm. there's other, I'm sure some people will pivot and, and to your earlier yep. point as well it's like I agree with you I think that that's a that's not a great proposition at present mm-hmm. with, the, with the big asterisk there at the current price like we said before <laughs> right. at, yeah, one, yeah, exactly. at one cent you know would What's I the buy Whitehaven it? story yeah totally, yeah, yeah, totally. yeah 100% would but mm-hmm. and this is this is the thing you know you, you need it, all, it always comes back to that what 
this, this great uh, paradox, as I said, having a view on the future but knowing that you're never going to be accurate in that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, know, have, that's you have to have that view but you just, just, <laughs> just understand that you're going to be wrong but, but you can be really wrong or you can only be a little bit wrong in, in, in a way that doesn't actually matter too much long term. Andrew, get prepared because on Sunday I'm going to ask you what strawman.com does. But in the meantime, (laughs) our listeners are going to have to imagine what strawman.com does, but I would say go and visit strawman.com. Andrew's business uh, is doing really well for himself. So go go and check out strawman.com. Do also, on behalf of my business and my boss, because that's how I keep a job, check out fool.com.au too. And uh, why why not both, as the cool kids say? Absolutely. Uh, That is it for today. We will come back on Sunday. I'm going to ask him, I'm going to make him come back on Sunday, whether he wants to or not. (laughs) But I know know he does. I want Uh, to. We'll (laughs) we'll come back with a, a special mailbag episode. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the Motley Fool Money podcast. Also, please do check out the Good Oil with Scott Phillips podcast, our brand, brand newie. Um, some really cool guests, including Andrew's already given away last week. I'm I'm sorry really about it that. Again. Sorry. No, it's all right. <laughs> if you haven't listened to Sunday's episode, go back and listen to it. Otherwise, stay tuned because this coming Tuesday, we have a very special guest and it's a really fun conversation um, and a really interesting, really insightful one as well. Um, yeah. You'll enjoy it. Uh, check out The Good Oil with Scott Phillips. Do subscribe to both podcasts if you wouldn't mind. Give us a review and a rating if you'd be so kind. I'd very much appreciate that too. In the meantime, that's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll see you on Sunday with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Catch you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.